Chodesh, everyone. Share today, I'd like to focus on, discuss a topic that's a bit uh, atypical, which you might not uh, typically learn in Kyle. But the uh, punk today, we had Rabbi uh, Shustaman here in the afternoon, and he spoke about precisely this Indian. So uh, we can claim, we can make the argument that now it's something we're learning in Kyle as well. So uh, at any rate, I assume, I think that uh, at least some of you will find this interesting. If it's, uh, if it's not interesting, you know, don't hesitate to let me know. We'll, we'll stop. We'll uh, take the Shulchan Aruch's back out. Um, but uh, due to the nature of this uh, subject, we're going to uh, be a lot more of Arum, sort of speaking about uh, certain history, etc. And of course, disclaimer, this is all theoretical, not halacha lemaisa per se. So in 1997... Tavshin on Zion, approximately the month of Shvat, there uh, there was a meeting. A meeting took place between Rav Mart Chelayau, was uh, the former chief rabbi Rishon Zion of Israel, and Rav Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg, who's uh, very was a very senior Pesik, famous mainly less for his name and more for the Sefer Shail Sitzvah Sitzeliezer very prominent uh, set of Shalos Tshuvas that deals with modern questions. Both of, them have both, uh, both of them have passed away since then. And in the course of their discussion, they got to talking about a new question, a question of a man who turned into a woman. Someone from Chutz hadn't reached Israel yet, but uh, the Shilas from Chutz were were starting to trickle in. So what's the significance lahalacha? So the senior rabbanim, paiskim, were discussing this new question. Apparently, in the course of the conversation, uh, Rav Waldenberg apparently surprised Rav Eliyahu and Machadish told him a chiddush that actually, already a hundred years earlier, the end of the 1800s, we find that this question was already brought up for discussion, and. Uh, you can find the halachic back and forth. It's in print. The problem was that uh, before the internet really took off, it was difficult. Back in the olden days, it was difficult to find uh, a rare safer. A safer that, you know, not every safer makes it. Some svarim are all but forgotten. And it seems that neither of Waldenberg and neither of Leo had access, had a copy of this safer. And it seems like Waldenberg might not even have remembered precisely what the name of the Sefer was. So we find that Rav Waldenberg wrote to Rav Eliyahu, it's printed in Shot Tzitzeliezer, Chelech of Beis, Simon Beis, Bir Alachoides Ish, Shinapach Leisho Madinai. So he writes them in a letter dated Chafbe Shva Tavshin on Zain. It was printed the next year, this volume was printed in Tavshin on Chas. So addressed to Rav Mert Chelayau. Regarding the question you heard from Chutzlah, and I said in our, our previous meeting that I remember that there's some kind of shayla like this that Rav Yosef Palachi was asked in one of his svarim. I came home after we met and I started going through my files because I remembered 
I don't have the safer, but I remember that uh, back in the day when I came across this, I made a copy for myself. And I was very upset, so I kept on searching and I couldn't find it. So then we met again yesterday. And I heard from you, Eliyahu, that you also haven't figured out uh, you know, what the safer, where the safer, where, where this Indian is. So I felt really bad, came home, and I started searching again, even more thoroughly, and the Siat Dishmaya, the Kamara Megillah, Yagaitiyu Matsasi, I found my copy, my handwritten copy that I made from that Sefer. And the name of the Sefer is Yosef S. Echov by Rav Yosef Palachi. So I'm very honored, he says, to copy this now to you. Although the Shiloh there is the opposite. The Isha Shenef Chalazut But we can certainly compare and equate and learn a lot from the discussion in that Sefer. And he proceeds to quote, essentially directly, from Yosef is Echov, Marech is Gimel, Oisei, on behalf of Revelyao. And this is what it says. A Shaila came up, came to, seems like it came to him, to ask of Moiri Virabi, not sure if that means his father, or someone else. Im Tzorach Get, Kedas Moshev Yisrael, Im Yerak Would a get be needed if, if being a key word, if the following happens. I'm emphasizing the word im, so it sounds like it. The who Beruvain married a girl, they were together, and after many years, something happened. The Nishtanis What is the din for this person who was in a cave and now is a, a Zachar? Now they want to get married, they want to marry a woman. Does Reuven have to give a get krisis to this person first, to Megadash Kedas Meshav Yisrael, because originally this person was an Eishas Ish? Or maybe you don't have to, because She'ena Isha, Ki'imish. That's the question as it appears in Yosef is Echov. Let's, let's pause here for a second. Right, so that's the question. We just went through the question exactly as it is in the Sefer, and we'll get back to both Yosef Palachi later and the Siciliezer later. But before we continue, I want to explain a little bit as to who's writing this, what safer is this. So, Rabbi Yosef Palachi is spelled with a gimel apostrophe, but the Svardim in Spanish, when you had the ch sound, that's apparently what they used, the gimel apostrophe, to represent that sound. It's a Spanish name, it means palaces, so clearly a Svardi family with roots in Spain. So Yosef was the youngest son of the very famous Rav in Izmir in Turkey, Rav Chaim Palachi. Rav Chaim Palachi is Mechaber, many Svarim, a number of them are relatively famous till today. And after he passed away, Rav Chaim passed away in 1868, so he was succeeded by a number of Chashiva sons who followed in his path and also authored Svarim in the style of their father. So this Sefer Yosef is Echov is Marachis, on in Yonam of Halacha, according to the Seder of Aleph base, so for example, Eis Gimel, he has Gefen, Gabet Staka, and then when we're talking about Get, and he printed the Sefer up to Eis Hay in his city of Izmir in the year Sasain, which is Tafrish Nunvav, 1896, Taka Mamash Kama, 100 years before the discussion with the Tzitzeliezer, and he passed away apparently the same year, and that was the end of that. As we said, it seems like the Sefer was 
fairly rare afterwards, and by the time you got the Tavshin and Zion, it was hard to get. Until Rav Aldenberg found a, a copy he had made when he had the Sefer in front of him. Of course, today, it's very easy to find because you can just pull up Hebrew books. It's Rahachma. It's all there. And in fact, in Tavshin Samachay, somebody even reprinted it, retyped it. So we have that as well. Now, the Chayra, the big question we would all have at this point is how on earth did this question come to be? Why were they asking this question? Now, we could debate the language, but I would tend to think that it does not seem like this was being asked Lamaisa, rather more of a theoretical question. Doesn't even, there's no even clear indication that it was based on something that had happened at the time. You know, was there some kind of famous pers- you know, pers- persona that was, uh, you know, was the news talking about something at the time? Don't see any indication of that. So it's certainly an interesting question to ask what inspired them to talk about it. Because on the other hand, they're coming and asking, like, what's the halacha? Like, we need to discuss the halacha. And even a bigger question is, where does this whole assumption come from? Why would they assume that this is a possibility leading them down this path of now we have to decide and discuss what the halacha is? Now, I remember when I saw this tshuva in Tzitzeliezer many years ago, probably in yeshiva, so it's probably the end of the Samachs. So, the impression I got at the time was, who knows, maybe in that culture, in that society, maybe there were superstitions, maybe they, uh, they believed in, you know, the magical ability for, you know, maybe you punish someone and you turn them from this into that and from that into this. Sounds like a story they would tell. And in fact... Someone recently actually shared that in Morocco, they talk, used to tell stories like that. Uh, this tzaddik did this to someone. Which uh, spurred me actually to take a look at this uh, Indian again. So maybe that, that was my assumption. Maybe that was somehow what triggered this the question, this discussion. You know, what would happen, what would we do if this actually happened in uh, Lamaisa? But actually, if you take a closer look, the uh, Mechaber, Rabbi Yosef, in the next few lines, addresses this question. And he writes, Va'al titma, al You're going to ask, what? What are you talking about? No, because you'll see in the Sefer Yad Nemon, in Likutim, Tafsamach Beis, Amit Beis, where he brings a number of incidents like this, including one in which the girl was on the way to the chuppah, and on the way she turned into a zacher. That's the conclusion of his question. And then he starts off the answer by saying, Tshuva, k'yaitza b'davar, k'asavarav, yad namanzel, sham. So it turns out he's not the first one to talk about this possibility. He's not even the first one to talk about the halachic questions, some uh, potential halachic questions. But there's someone that preceded him, the yad namon. So if you want to figure out where this idea is coming from, understand what it, where it comes from, what it means, what it, the, the significance is. So we have to go up the chain, we have to check out the next Sefer on the, on the list. <clears throat> so what follows now is the results of my attempt to trace this idea and the winding path it took all the way back to the source. And we'll discover that it's not just some random curiosity, but there's actually a very Yusaitistic uh, fundamental idea that is at odds with the manner in which we're accustomed to think about this question. So, Yad Neman, Yad Neman takes us back another hundred years. This was uh, Chacham who lived in 
Saloniki, Salonika in Greece, which was of course part of the Ottoman, the Turkish Empire for 500 years. And uh, on the Sharblad it says, Harav of Chaim of Rome, Miranda. Miranda is of course another Spanish name. You may have heard of Miranda Rights here in the United States, named after some guy named Miranda, so uh, nice Spanish name. Obviously another uh, Yid from that uh, with origins in, uh, in that part of the world. <coughs> There's a uh, fellow by the name of Meir Benayahu, who was a huge, huge expert on the jury in Turkey and in Greece, among other things. So in one of his publications, Funot, volume 14, he gets at length into who Avram Miranda is. And he was born about 300 years before today in the year Tav Pei Gimel, 1722, in Saloniki. And it seems he passed away around Tav Kof Nun Tes, 1799. But Eyal says it seems that he was General Marbitz Torah, a Darshan, without any official position in the community. But we have evidence that he was considered chashev by the, by the locals. As a curiosity, Benayahu also gets into great length on how Ravra Miranda was actually one of the big sabbatians, Shabbat, Shabbatayim, in his period. Now, pay attention, he was born 50 years after the whole Maisef Shabbat Tzvi, so we're talking about uh, a later period. And there's a manuscript, the Dafka, through him, through his manuscript, we preserved a lot of uh, original documents from the Maes of Shabzi Tzvi. But that, I'm just mentioning it because it's interesting. It's not very relevant to uh, what we're discussing because it seems that in Turkey and in Greece at that time, or really all the time, they never really got onto the whole bandwagon of Kat Shatz, Simach Shmoy, Yimach Shmoy. They weren't uh, hunting these people down. And the whole gang, Lomahalach, of these people are evil, you have to hunt them down, is more of a European thing, an Ashkenazi thing, that was led by certain big Kanoim. But Dafka, in the place where it all happened to begin with, they continued taking a very casual uh, attitude towards the whole thing, and it seems like it was very much possible to continue believing a lot or a little. And uh, if you weren't bothering anybody, nobody bothered you. So, for example, in this case, there's nobody else that even mentions this fact about him, except those that have a koch in uh, Shabtaut. But uh, those who lived in his lifetime, or those who learned his svarim over the years, no one's ever mentioned, uh, no one ever mentions uh, a thing about it. In fact, someone put out a sefer a few years ago, told us Rabbi Seinu Shabbat Shalom he copies and pastes a lot from Bnei Yau. So he has, a, he has a whole beautiful arach for Bavram Miranda. And he copies and pastes almost everything uh, of right? And he just skips the Shabbatot parts. Smooth. And even Benayahu admits there that if you look through the actual Svarim of, of Miranda, you don't see any Ramazim uh, to these ideas. It's all pretty mainstream stuff. Torah mitzvahs are still exactly the same. We're being medactic and all the Pratim of Torah mitzvahs. He says, maybe you can find a hint there, a hint there, a So, like I said, it's just interesting, but not relevant uh, so, to, 
the, the subject at hand. So this Sefer Yad Nemo was printed by his son, Ushlem around a few years after his father passed away, in the year Tafk of Samach Dalit, 1804. And as the Sharablat says, it's Shita, Tzas, Mesechtes, so Chidushim, Amesechtes, and some Shuts. In the Sefer, at one point it mentions the date 1760, so maybe that's when most of it is from. This Sefer is quoted a lot, Lamashal in the Stei which was, of course, printed by the Rebbe. I was curious to see if it ever gets mentioned in the, the Rebbe's Torah anywhere. I didn't find it. I found like a secondary, indirect reference, because one of the letters, the Rebbe's Mitzayin to Valkei Nekavalcha, what's the mocker of this Tefillah, Yeshua bin Nun. So there was Mitzayin to a bunch of Mekayris, and it says, Oitzer HaTfilas B'Mekaymoi. If you look up Oitzer HaTfilas B'Mekaymoi, the additional mucker he brings there is that there's a tshuva, yuchasis, let of high going, and the sefer yad namon of Rom Miranda, Slana, Ketaf, and Samachdal. Fine. So we just said the Yosef is Echov, and Yosef Palachi was Mitzayan to sefer yad namon, likutim, daf, samach, beiz, amit beiz, it's close to the end of the sefer. And there we find, he writes, Oid reisi loy laechad kodesh mechachme Yerushalayim. So he's in turn quoting someone else, someone, a manuscript, someone in Yerushalayim. And we'll quote part of it now. This person wrote, A woman, after, even after she got married, she can't Surely, if it's before she gave birth, for whatever reasons, even an adult. And there's more there as we'll get to soon. But we now have another, another name, another clue. He's quoting some anonymous Chacham from Yerushalayim in a manuscript. So can we figure out uh, what, who this is and what manuscript it is? As far as I know, as far as I could tell, people who have discussed the sugya as a halachic sugya, don't get further than this. But, if you pay attention, his Lashon begins, I also saw from him. So if you look at the previous paragraphs, you'll see he's talking about the Shaila of uh, water during the Tkufa. Is there a Sakana in drinking water during the Tkufa? Quoting different people. And there he writes, paragraph before, and he's the, the Shver of the Prichadash, and he's the father of the Malki Bakaydash, and he's the brother-in-law of Marab ibn Chaviv. And he writes in his countries, etc. And he says, Adri Isiloi. So it's pretty clear that that's the same person. So, who's Ramardachai Malki? That takes us another hundred years back. So you can look him up. Rafal, Mardachai Malki lived from 1640 approximately to 1702 was an interesting person. He was born in a family of Moranos. He ended up in Italy. He seems to have spent a lot of time there. And it seems that he must have gotten formal medical education in Italy, which is where Yidin, from a very early era, were able, under certain conditions, to actually get higher education in medicine. He uh, moved to Yerushalayim in 1677, and he was one of the, the leaders of the Kahila there. Uh, it seems he had uh, money and he used to practice medicine for free. Ironically, speaking of uh, sebationism, that he came to in 1677. That's about 10 years after Shabtzitzvi died. 20 years after the high point. So that time, Dafka is when these ideas were spreading in Yerushalayim, and Ramardchai was Dafka a big opponent 
of uh, these ideas, so it's interesting. And it says in the 1690s, he writes that it, it's gotten so out of hand that he can't even, can't even distinguish, he can't even tell who believes what anymore. It's so, uh, it's uh, penetrated so much. His son, Taker of Ezra Malki, is the author of Malki Bakaydash on the Rambam. His son-in-law is Taka the Prichadash. And his other son-in-law was Ramesha Chagiz, who's also famous for fighting uh, Sebations. Now, his work, he has a work, it's Al Atoyra, it's this huge, huge work, it's never been printed properly yet. We still have the manuscript, it's like this encyclopedic type of work that goes through every area of knowledge at the time. Halacha, Kabbalah, astronomy, geography, history, anatomy, pharmacology, and many other topics as well, the interesting topics of the day. You also can learn a lot from him about what was going on in Yerushalayim at the time, very valuable historic resource. Right? So in Tafshin Memhei, the, the very same Meir B'nayahu collected passages from Mardchai Malki's work, and he printed a work called Mamarim B'Refuah L'Rebifal Mardchai Malki. From that same work in manuscript. And he points out that it's clear that the Bavram Miranda had a copy of this because he's the one who quotes him in the Yad Naman, he counts 16 different places that he counts them. And he says it looks like the work was written around the year 1688, at least the part on Bereshus, which is the main part that we have. So as we said, it's an interesting type of work where he tells the Chalapasigl and he goes off into the topics that are of interest to him. Uh, so in the work, in the Likot that Beniel printed, we find on page 121 that there's a piece that relates to the birth of Dina which of course, the famous Chazal, Rashi, Al-Asar, Rashi says, Dina Peshur Abiseinu Shedon Aleya Din Ba'atzma Emzeh Zohar Leitahei Rochel Ochesi Ka'achas Hashvachas V'espalo Alav V'nepach L'nekeva So he became a she. So Malki comes, Rabbi Dr. Malki comes, and the comments as follows. And in the book, it's the Shah Ravi, the way he re- rearranged the Shah Ravi, Heroyon Leidah Brismila, he quotes Rabbi Yehuda ben Pazi. Rabbi Yehuda ben Pazi, Omar, Af b'yeshevus al hamash beryochel lehistanis. So what's what's the context for that? So you have to look it up. So there's a Mishnah in the end of Brachas. Ha'isa ishtam uberes v'ami yiratzu shetayel dishdizach harez etfil hashav. You can't daven that the gender should switch, even during pregnancy. So the Gemara in Bavli asks, what? You can't daven? What about uh, dinner? So Gemara says, number one, I'm a skid and my sinisim. It's just completely uh, unnatural. And number two, maybe it was talk of Betoychar Boim Yoim, and Betoychar Boim Yoim, there's more of a chance that it can change. Gemara says, really? I thought you said Ishma Zriya Tchila, that determines the gender. So Gemara says, okay, maybe uh, it was Shneim Bevasachas. So that, then you have, it can go either way. That's the Gemara in, uh, in Bavli. So generally, seeming, generally speaking, it seems that according to Bavli, this is a pretty uh, impossible type of thing, even in pregnancy. But if you look in the Yishami, on the same Mishnah, totally different approach and attitude. The base Yane Oimer, that the Mishnah is only talking about Mamish, Mamish, when she's about to give birth, she's already on the Mashber, the, the birthing stool, whatever it was. But up until then, Max Davin, you can Davin, and it, it's presumed to work, up until the last minute, up until birth. 
Amr Yehuda ben Pazi, Afa Yeshev Hayeshavus Alamash Bryochel Ishtanus. Even if she's Mamash Atat, could still change it. Hinek Achemer Bayad Ayotzer Pasuk. And then the Yerushalmi says, oh, that's the same Isa with Dina, Rachel Davin, became in a keva. So the whole tone of the Yerushalmi is that it's very much a possibility. So as a doctor, now Rabbi Malki wants to opine, he wants to say his opinion. He quotes Yudhav and Pazi, and he says, According to medicine, Nida the halacha kerab Yudhav and Pazi. Paskin like him. What's well, he's paskin like him? So in the introduction, uh, Benayahu explains that we see that Malki's attitude towards uh, Chazal and science was that he, uh, he was very much entitled to come along and decide what makes sense, what doesn't, and that's where he's coming from. So that's Halacha Karabiyudim and Pazi. Now, interestingly, the way he structured it is like Kuntris and Taisvis. So that was Kuntris, a statement. Then he has his own Taisvis on himself. It's says, What's the reason? And here's where the quote in the Yad Nemon starts from. So what I'm going to say now is appears both in the original that was printed and in the Yad Nemon, although in the Yad Nemon there are certain minor changes and additions. So we see Matsino Birafua, Yechaila Haisha, Afilo Achashinises, Lis Hapach Valias Karavlazakhar. Even after she's married, she can change from a woman to a man. And uh, the Yad Naman adds in parentheses that that would be the islandess. That's his attempt to connect it to that. The call she can call them later. But who had in Azachar in a keva? Miranda adds in parentheses outside Hapela. So he seems to think that that's a lot less uh, likely and possible. That would be a lot more unusual. That's not what it says in the original. So Azachar in a keva. Mishapech Azachar mach mesibis in a keva. Vafilu Azachar gadol babayamim. Kaitzad. What are we talking about? This is what he says. And if Miranda adds in parentheses, hopefully, anatomy. They don't see any fundamental difference in the Avri Azachar versus the Avri Anakeva. It's essentially the same thing. What's the difference? For her, it's internal, and for him, it manifests itself externally. But it's essentially the same thing. And Miranda adds in parentheses, But we know she has the same things, just internally. And we'll get back to this idea soon. So, Rav Malki continues, Yadnam continues quoting him, But Eifen, so what's the, what does that mean practically? That if there's ribu chaim or tesafas dam, a lot of heat, yisrachem aim havlad aim is his word he uses for the womb. The womb will expand, the yetsel achutz, and it will emerge. And uh, Miranda has it slightly differently. Yitachin yetsel arlas harachem lachutz, uminekeva tashapach lezacher. Vim behapach, and if it's the opposite. If uh, there's miyotam v'roiv krirus, then the zachros will somehow contract, and mezachi is hapech l'nekeva. And in parentheses, Miranda adds, "Yan shemakim ha'ever achazer l'fnim bo'emik l'shor shevikroi nasa kamin nekev toyref anekeva mamish." So mamish gets you know sucked in, and it's the reverse. So uh, Malki continues, and he says, 
There are many times the doctors want to say that this is what happened to a child in the mother's womb. And Miranda adds in parentheses, easily, I think that's the word, binoco, binicla. And he adds as well, it's for the same reason that based on the above and based on the fact that at that stage the, it's still uh, very malleable, we've seen Chazah, you can turn into all kinds of things, so why not? And then Mavalki continues and says, And it might even happen sometimes to an adult, and Miranda adds, Vizoros. Again, he's emphasizing that it's unusual, it's strange. And then his Mitzayim says, look at the Mepharshim on Tehillim, Yatav Shis Chomas Lomay, Yatzum Echelav Enemay. I haven't figured out yet what Mepharshim he means. What? Greater than what would an Andregnus be? Andregnus has and both. Andregnus has double. Yeah. It's one aver, it's just split in two. So how would it be that it's one thing? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't address that question in this context. So it's just interesting to point out that there's a... Of, uh, looking at all the differences between uh, of Martre Malki in the original versus the Adnam, and it looks like in the original Malki is actually a lot more confident about all of this, and the Adnam one in different ways is adding certain qualifiers, uh, etc. He's also trying to find connections to Chazal, Islandists, Mapalas Kamenchaya. It also seems that a female to male is more acceptable to him than male to female. Just noticing the distinctions. You're going to ask, okay, where did this uh, educated Jewish doctor get this information from? He's happy to tell you. The cost of Bisifreim, it says in their books, Shibsula Achas, Bizman Shoy Machnisun Aisla Chupa, and Ishabchal Zacher. Oh, okay, so this is where he says this. And he says, Kain Kosav Fragozo, Daf 155 Amar Aleph, Bishem Plino. Okay? The Ippokrat, Arefe Hagodel Shabahem, Ava Chachmavarafur, he testified that in a certain city, there was a woman before birth, after she got married, due to some kind of traumatic uh, incident or whatever, she nebchal zakhar, the yotzel loy zakan grew a beard, the nishtana kailam and a kevel zakhar, the voice changed, the chen sa'areisha, the hair, the shinuyan, all the physiological changes. The chen ma'isa'achen is another story in another place where this happened. And he continues, v'reife echad Portuguese, kosav, shabik imbra, now, Coimbra is a city in Portugal, and if Miranda adds in parentheses, or maybe, yeah, I think, there's a big medical academy there, Stam, trying to help identify the place. It's true, you look it up, it has a very uh, ancient medical academy there. Isha Achas, or this Portuguese doctor wrote that there, Isha Achas, Nishtanis, Mirkevel, Azachar, Vahochala, Bekarev, Anashim, Ubetachshite, Anashim, Bekarev, Ubemuchama, and uh, the most important question, a more recent, uh, meant to be a more recent story. Madril is another way of saying Madrid. And uh, Miranda adds that this is a Irmam Lachal Amalach Svarad, in case you don't know. Many have told of these incidents. Now Rav Malki concludes, after he quoted his sources, he showed his sources, he says, If it's possible for this to transpire even after a woman gives birth, and a Miranda adds, So he keeps on uh, wanting to emphasize that, which Rav Malki does not. So, 
So for sure, before birth, wouldn't be uh, so far-fetched. Like in all the stories, all the stories you brought seem to be in a kevel of He doesn't have a problem, it goes either way. That's where it ends in the Ksav Yad, as it was printed. In Yad Nehman, there's another line that does seem to be in his Ksav Yad from the original. Now we don't have what he wrote on, uh, from half of Shmois and on, but it seems like he's being Mitzayin to something there. And what's in Bechayres Nach Membez? So it's talking about uh, a tumtum. The Gemara is about an animal that's a tumtum. The Gemara is talking about how when you have an animal, it's a tumtum. Bechayres you can check. Is it Matal Mayim Mimkoyim Zachris or Mimkoyim Nakvus? Mar says that there's a machlekes tanoim if it's matul mayim and koyim nakvus because mar savar chashin on shemon nepcha zachrusoi linakvusoi. Now, is that what does that mean? The pasuk pshat, as it's understood, is that it, it moved, it shifted. Not that uh, one thing became another thing, but presumably, without explaining it, I'm assuming that that's where he's getting this idea from that he has a raya from this Gemara, and it says, Vaiter, the Shlakish said, So you can't tell from being Matl Mayim, doesn't, doesn't solve the question. But says, what about So there's this discussion there on this theme that I assume, we assume he interpreted some more, somehow along these lines. So, Ad Kan Yad Nama concludes, Ad Kan Dvarov in Ktsas Tisefes Bir Shalonu. And why did I copy and paste this all here into my Sefer? Yishma Chacham Yasef Leka, Chadhechon Divrei Chazal Magim, Havan Zahetiv Moed. Stam, it's interesting. Then he, uh, then he adds, oh, I found somewhere else in the Kuntris that he does Taka Ask Lahalacha. Is a woman that became a zacher chayev or chayeves? You know, always pay attention to the pronouns. It's interesting. Chayeves b'mila oy p'tura. So taka. It's also in what was printed. If you look later in that liquid in that chapter in Oisid Beis, there he has an arichus on mila on the pasuk himo on the pasuk about mila. So he writes there, Aro zacher. That's the Lashon of the Pasuk. So from there we see that it has to take a B. Otherwise, where's the Mila? Where should it be? Okay, it's in the place that's Makam Hamavdom in Zachel in Akeva. Aisa Nekeva Mi'ikara V'nekru Gidea V'chavala V'yotasu Ha'eim Shala Again, is a term for the womb. L'chutz V'nasek K'zachar Patur Mi'mila That's what Yudmaki says elsewhere in his Chibur. Because Adel Zachar Mi'ikara Yichayi V'mila the keva miikara shenas zacher. If she started off as a woman, then became a zacher. Ain't a chayav mila. So that's what the Yad Neman noticed later elsewhere in the chibur, which is also elsewhere in the chibur that we have, and he's, he cites it as well. An atkan from both of them, right? So Malki in the 1680s and the Yad Neman approximately 100 years later. This is where they both conclude. So what do we see? First of all. This has nothing to do with uh, superstition, with uh, tales of magic. This is a very highly educated, highly learned doctor from Spain, from Italy, and he's coming and telling you about the dark era of food. He's telling you the most up-to-date medical information there was at the time. 
Now, in the course of things, he mentioned a number of names, details, and fortunately, nowadays, with uh, a little, uh, you know, a little rutsen and uh, some skills, you can uh, decipher, you can actually figure out what all of his makayras are. And when we do that, we'll get to the yisoy that led me to decide to share this in a shir. Because what we're going to essentially discover is that we have a number of Rabbanim here. Aside from their acknowledging the possibility, which the possibility that they uh, talk about seemingly is not possible, it doesn't happen spontaneously. So in that sense, not. It's not that uh, helpful. But we'll see that the question is based on an entirely different conception of gender and how gender works. And that potentially could be more relevant even today. And all the following details, as far as I know, I haven't seen, I didn't find anybody who uh, managed to figure out, make the connection to all these sources, although chances are there's someone else out there who's done it as well, but this is, uh, this is new. So let's start with the first point, the first idea. He starts off and says, Don't find any difference between the tchunas binyan hazachar yesem and anakeva. It's just internal and external. What does what does he mean? What, are the, what, are the, what does that sentence mean? Well, it turns out that in 1990, there's a, a book printed in English on the historical attitudes towards differentiations in gender. And this is an extremely extremely influential book on this whole topic on this whole tchum. As we shall see, anybody who comes and discusses this issue now wants to discuss early sources like these, his book is always the point of reference, the point of departure. Everyone uh, frames what they're saying in reference to this book. Look at Wikipedia, in addition to his own entry, there's a long entry simply on this theory. I'm going to say the name of the theory once, and then we'll use uh, you know, cleaner terminology. It's called the one sex and two sex theories. What is the theory? that there's two models of human anatomy or fetal development in this guy's book. And his theory is that there was one attitude towards this part of the body up until the 1700s, and then from the 1700s, it was completely transformed to the opposite. Because prior to the 18th century, it was a common belief that women and men represented two different forms of one essential men. That is, women were seen to possess the same fundamental reproductive structure as men, the only difference being that the female was inside, not outside. This is how he's describing the Indian today. And the anatomist, it goes through all the, all the pratim, the mamish, every prat of the... Of, I'm not going to go through, uh, get, get graphic here, but uh, Saida, the Aver and the Arla and uh, the Kiss and the Babe, each thing corresponds to the equivalent thing in the woman. Then, however, around the 1700s, they suddenly switched to the two men model. And one French author at the time wrote not only are the two genders different, but they are different in every conceivable aspect of body and soul and every physical and moral aspect. It's complete opposites and contrasts. So he's saying this is a huge shift. The women and men began to be seen as polar opposites, and that, was, that became the new frame of reference. 
You look on a different uh, encyclopedia, encyclopedia.com, they add a few more pratam. They say, the theory postulated that in the final stages of gestation, immediately preceding birth, so they talk a hell that it was Yeshevas al Hamashber, that's when it happened. Heat, like we saw, heat drove the organs out of the body and created a man, and if there was not enough heat, that an incompletely formed male, in other words, a female, would be born. So according to this model, females were thus imperfectly formed males. Okay? So, and along with that, the encyclopedia continues, they propose that if at puberty sufficient heat were applied, a girl could force her organs out of her body and become a boy. In the 16th century, anecdotal accounts attesting to such transformations abound. So, Mamish exactly came out what, uh, what we just said. This is his, and this is all based on this guy's book, this idea to be marked or to frame how people viewed things at that period of time. Now, of course, there's a lot more to it, technical, technical conceptual, um, what, what, do, what do these shifts in, in perspective, how do they impact uh, how one sees uh, you know, women's rights, for example, which, which shit is more likely to lead you to what conclusion, there's a lot one can discuss. There are also those who disagree with how far this guy took his theory. He made it you know, a little too extreme. Everyone until now, said, until this period said this. Everyone after that said that. And one of his big barpluktas, the woman, she, she's argued in response that there are plenty of makaitis from ancient times up until even the 1500s, 1600s that show that there are plenty of people that used the two men model. It wasn't so uh, uniform and universal and there's no historical period in which it was completely uh, the one-min model. Fine, it would be interesting in light of this to go through Yiddish and to see if anything matches more to what. Lamashal, we could say, maybe that's the Machlekes Bavli in Yerushalmi. You know? And the Bavli is more like the second, that's two, and maybe the Yerushalmi holds talking more than it's like one. But oh, at this point, the picture is getting clearer, and uh, we see that this doctor is repeating. It's very much anchored in a very well-known medical scientific opinion of the time, and literally all matched up and lined up. Okay, so that's that idea. Next point. He writes, Kosov b'sifreyam, that there was a woman, a girl who was being married off, a girl being married off could have been around the age of puberty anyway, and Nishab Chalazachar b'shem Plino. Who is that? That's Plinius. Pliny the Elder uh, was a Roman author, uh, a friend who lived Mamish around the time of the Chorban. He was a friend of Vespasian, Aspasionus. And he wrote the encyclopedic Naturalist Historia, Natural History, which is like all the encyclopedias are modeled after that. And interestingly, it's, he's known that he writes a little bit about it. It's all about Yerushalayim there, there's interesting stuff. So in Book 7, Paragraph 36, you can find it, it's available. He writes the following. Transformation of females into males is not an idle story. He quotes different Mechitis about different stories. And then he concludes, he says, I myself saw in Africa a person who had turned into a male on the day of marriage to a husband. And he says the name, this was Lucius Constitius, a citizen of, I don't know, some, some place in Africa. 
Now, in Europe of that time, they were still very much into the classics, the Greek, the Roman literature, so they would have been familiar and influenced by something like that. Just point out that if we take his word for it, that he actually met the person and he isn't just repeating uh, legends because they sound nice, uh, one still assumes that he didn't actually, uh, you know, embark on an inspection and a medical, uh, you know, presumably he met the person and they told him a story and they said this is their story. Next line, he says, Ippokrat, in Yad Nemun, he changes it to Abukrat. The big doctor says that in this city and that city, who are we talking about? That is Hippocrates. Hippocrates lived 400 years before the Khurban, before, well, before Christianity, which is at 70 years and it's before the Khurban. He was a Greek physician of the classical period who was considered one of the most outstanding figures in the history of medicine. And in fact, he's known as the father of medicine. That's the Lashon in the Sefer. Ava Chachme Because he, his, his impact on the field was huge. The idea of prognosis, clinical observation. Step one, you have to look at the patient. That was a big chiddush. He came up with that. He also, you know, categorized diseases. He tried to come up with, uh, you know, a system. You could open the book and say, hmm, is it this, is it that? You know, very, uh, very, very revolutionary stuff. The, the humors, the modest, the four modest. I don't know if he was Mahadaship, but it also comes from him. And uh, he, his school of medicine revolutionized ancient Greek medicine. And that's when medicine became its own tchum. You become a medical doctor, not the term doctor, but you become an expert in medicine. And uh, you may have heard today, doctors till today are asked to swear the Hippocratic Oath. The Hippocratic Oath is uh, ethics. The, the ethics that a doctor has to be mischayev to follow. And it's named as such because it traces itself back in one form or another to his writings where he wrote about this, the idea of confidentiality, that you can't share information without permission, uh, that the doctor shouldn't intend to do harm, the doctor should intend to, to help the patient. So in this case, we have his books as well, and in his book of epidemics, book 6, section 8, uh, paragraph 32, he writes, an abdera... Pethusa, the wife of Pythias, who kept at home, having borne children in the preceding time, when her husband was exiled, stopped menstruating for a long time. Afterwards, pains and reddening in the joints. When that happened, her body was masculinized and grew hairy all over. She grew a beard. Her voice became harsh. And though we did everything we could to bring forth menses, they did not come, but she died after surviving a short time. The same happened to Nano, someone else's wife, and Thesos. All the physicians I met thought that there was one hope of feminizing her if normal menstruation occurred, but in her case, too, it was not possible that we did everything, but she died quickly. That's what Hippocrates writes. Now, where did I get this translation from? I got this translation from an article by the woman who's the big bar of the theory we mentioned above. She wrote a whole article just on this passage, and what she wants to do is prove from this story that even though you see Lamashal here, he's citing this story as a ayah to the idea that Hippocrates also agrees that a woman can become a man, but she is medayak barichas, that uh, the story, if you read the story carefully, it doesn't sound like he ever meant to say that she actually changed who she was. He only mentions other symptoms, the beard, the voice, you know, he never says the key thing. So it just sounds like he's describing some kind of illness, which is still an illness still today. It's, you know, it's a concept that exists, the bearded woman. 
Um, she's Medayek, you know, he also continues with the female pronouns, he keeps on referring to her. And she shows there are other authors who also read this passage differently. So it's not like even, like that, that's an, an example of how she wants to argue that you don't have to read, the, you know, you can't read all of this in a completely one-sided way. It's more complex than that. Interestingly, in the source, it says she had already given birth, but in Malki Sefer, he seems to have, by the time it got to him, he writes it was before she gave birth. And now we get to the main source. He wrote, Cain Kosa Fragozo on page 155. And then it continues, that was in reference to those, and the, the Portuguese doctor, Coimbra Majid, in Yad Neman, it says, Fralgonzo, Frandondo, there's some extra letters in there. And when I found it first in the Yad Neman, before I found it, uh, the earlier uh, text, I was fairly confident that if you know what you're doing, you can probably figure out who it's supposed to be, even though it's someone from uh, the 1600s at least. But the spelling, because it was spelled that way, made it more difficult. I asked a friend of mine who uh, share in our, my searches sometimes, and uh, he got back to me and said, from looking it up, those who write about this topic, they're quoting someone by the name of Fragoso. And that's how I was able to find almost in- instantly what we're talking about. Then when I saw Malki Sefer, I saw that Hitaka writes it uh, correctly. Those who printed the Sefer, and there was a professor, Yeshua Leibowitz, who was a big expert on medical history, he couldn't figure out who Fragoso was, so we'll identify him right now. So, Fragoso is a Spanish non-Jew. Juan Fragoso lived in the 1500s, so now we jump back to the 1500s. He was a Spanish doctor, died in Madrid in 1597, famous for his studies in medicine, etc. Ended up as a job with a job as the, the royal doctor in Madrid. And the number one thing was that he was a surgeon very influenced by uh, Hippocrates and Gal and all the, uh, the classic medical texts. And in 1581, he printed the first edition of his book, Universal Chirurgia, which means surgery, a book on surgery, a book on anatomy. And he, he printed it in Spanish, not in Latin, so it was meant to be a popular book, not a, not a book for academics. And it was a very popular book. It was printed 14 times in Spanish, three times in Italian, so it was a popular medical work of the time. If you wanted to know what uh, the medical ideas of the time were, this was your place to look. So it seems like this would be, we have our source, this would be the source for Martre Malki, and in turn, everyone who comes after him. So can we confirm that though? Ah, so I found someone wrote an entire dissertation a few years ago on attitudes in medieval Spain or late, early, whatever the term is, Spain, towards this Indian, and she goes through these authors, and she has a few pages on Fragoso, and she quotes the passages directly. You can also find it on Google Books if you really want. And it's written in question and answer form. Fifth question. Is it possible to turn women into men? And he says, the man does not differ from the woman, except that it's on the outside. And if you look at a woman, you'll see that she has the same things just on the inside. He says, yes, it's possible for it to change. It's happened many times in the womb. And then she, in her dissertation, points out, unlike a different author that she discusses, this Fragoso goes to the trouble of including nearly a dozen stories of women who turned into men. So this is the, the book to look at at the time if you wanted to find this. The sheer quantity of examples, anecdotal as they may seem, 
they seem to substantiate what he's saying. It looks like he knows what he's talking about. He's speaking as a medical expert. And it also suggests that the readership at the time were very interested in this topic, so this would be something you'd want to, this is what the readers want. He says, but there are many stories. He says, plenty. He has a story he saw in Africa, Hippocrates and Abdera, so all those things that Martha Malki quoted presumably are straight from here. And then he continues and he says, a doctor says that in Esaguera near Coimbra, there was a lady named, we have her name, her name was Maria Pacheca, who when she reached the age that, uh, I guess it's not clear, the translation is not so clear, but maybe puberty or something, she uh, suddenly, she ended up with an Eva Zachras, they dressed her as a man and baptized her, calling her Manuel, and later he was married. And then later, after a few other stories, more contemporary stories, he writes, here in Madrid, many remember that a nun of Santo Domingo, lifting a great weight, became a man, boom, and was called Rodrigo Montes and received whatever, you know, the Christian uh, was got, got, got to be a Galach or whatever. And uh, this person who wrote the dissertation, she points out, it's important to know, these are not vague mythical references back to 2,000 years ago, Stories with concrete dates, recent in some cases, locations and sources cited from doctors. And they're, they're said to have occurred in Spain. Even she, the author of this dissertation, she goes on as Medayek, but even he, you notice even Malki at the beginning, he writes, Karav Lezacher. So even he, if you go through his language, you can tell that even he doesn't hold that it's mamish, a full-fledged man, it's a, a female who was probably leaning masculine in the first place, and then the, the end result is Karav Lezacher. She quotes other sources from that time who debated it, there already were others who disagreed. When I was putting this together, I thought, okay, at this point we've gotten to the, uh, we've gotten to the beginning, we've traced it all the way back. But right before I came here, I found uh, an article someone wrote online, and it turns out that we actually know who the doctor in Portugal is that uh, he's quoting in his book. And it turns out it's a Yid. So there's a doctor by the name of Amadis Lusitanus. We're not going to get into all the details, but also from uh, Lusitanus seems to be, uh, or maybe a different part of his name, there seems to be a translation of Chaviv. He came from the Chaviv family in Spain. Uh, Morano, this, that, the other thing. Very famous in his day. He wrote some major medical works as well. And one of the stories he writes is about this Maria Pachaca from Coimbra, the whole story. He adds more details. He went to India, became rich and famous, came back to Portugal, got married, doesn't know if he had a son or not. He doesn't know. So he found an even earlier Gilgal of the central, the main story, that traces back to a Yid who lived in the 1500s, the early 1500s. So what do we learn from all this? that there was once a shitta, without getting into the debate as to how pervasive it was, that there is one men. And for this reason, the male gender and the female gender are actually rather close to each other. And to the extent that they came to the conclusion that it's possible to trigger the masculine side of a nekeva and vice versa. And it's not some kind of crazy transformation, but it's based on the fact that there is some direct and close connection. In today's terminology, one would say that there is a certain fluidity of gender. Come these svarim, and they brought this idea into Yiddishkeit, and according to their Havana, this fits with Chazal, to the extent that they started asking, what are the halachas? Now we should just point out that 
all these stories that they quote are supposed to have, are meant to have happened. And obviously from today's perspective, they obviously couldn't have happened the way they were said to have happened. Now, that same person who wrote online about uh, the Jewish doctor, she focuses on this as well, and she says that we actually, you would expect, as you might expect, the Inquisition in Spain was, uh, was interested in this topic because they were, their job was to catch people doing Averis. And sometimes the question of whether an Aver was done or not comes down to the question of, is this person a male or a female? And sometimes the male would say, no, I'm not a male, I'm a female now. And this was a practical matter at the time. And she has access to the, the archives of the Inquisition in Lisbon in the 1600s, and she starts quoting case after case, name after name. In each case that she quotes, though, after a, a medical inspection and investigation, they always all turned out to be men. She mentions that in one case, they actually got into this whole discussion. Hippocrates, Pliny, is it, is it uh, possible for people who change their gender to exist? And they were macabre, they were open to the idea. Just every time they tested it, it always ended up being uh, the original gender. So what do we see? On the one hand, they were open practically to this possibility. On the other hand, it doesn't seem like no, anyone ever actually found an instance of this happening. And the stories that were being told must have been from before the Inquisition started investigating it, which, in which case no one would actually bother to in, make an inspection and check up on somebody's claims. So on the one hand, this sort of debunks what we obviously knew to be not true anyway. But what does that tell us, by the way? That all these people and all these stories were essentially doing what you hear of today, which is identifying as the other gender, regardless of what actually is going on. But why is this all relevant? So, at least in this shuva, the Tzitzeliezer ultimately is influenced by this whole uh, you know, series of Mekairis, that we should take something like this into account. So we have a direct line from Lusitanus to Fragosa to Malki to the Adnamon to the Yezavazachov to the Tzitzeliezer, nowadays, a few decades ago. And secondly, in the light of science today, I'm not a scientist, but on some level, we essentially agree with that idea biologically that at some uh, original level, there is not that much of a difference between a male and a female. And the way it seems to be described, if you look it up, is that the same tissue could either turn into the parts of the Zohar or the parts of the Nekeva based on whatever command it gets at the crucial stage. So the Marshall talk today, the way they describe it is, you have this tissue that could either turn into the bayim of the Zacher or the, the ovaries of the Nekeva, etc., etc., and other parts as well. So it's not precisely the same medical model that they were working with, and obviously you can't turn one into the, once it's this, you can't turn it back into that, but there is some parallel to this idea. So maybe if those people from that time traveled in a time machine to today, they would continue to say, that according to this Yisoyed, it's still possible to accept the idea that a male could be a female, a female could be a male. They thought it would happen spontaneously, but maybe they would accept that even if it happened artificially, surgically, maybe they would accept that it's legitimate, without getting into the Shail of Yisurim and you know, whether you're allowed to do that type of thing. Because it seems, at the basis of what they're saying, is that they don't see gender as being determined at birth. What you have at birth is on a spectrum, and that spectrum can shift. Birth isn't the key moment here. 
I saw in Shut Rabbana Europa there's an article on Batshuva from Chaim Rappaport quotes Tzitzliazer Bekitzu these Makaris and he says Bechilas Kveda Taira you can't compare Misha Ishtanai the Nasbidei Shemayim they're all talking about Nasbidei Shemayim here we're talking about uh, surgeries that's not in light if you actually trace these ideas that's not accurate it doesn't seem to be accurate because they're not talking about fantastical miracles. They this is how they understood science. So again, if, even if it's not spontaneous, as they thought, maybe they would accept that something artificial could also have some significance. Again, this is nothing to do, this is not a practical discussion, we're not uh, suggesting anything halachically. As Shustin mentioned, the mainstream shita, both in theory and in halacha, is that birth is the moment that determines gender. Unless the person is born where phys- physically they're talking a little bit which is of course something Chazal and Allah have a lot to say about but just pointing out that it seems like there is a basis, a, a yesoid, a mucker in Yiddishkeit and Yiddishim there's a das miut a legitimate das miut that might be open to accepting this idea and we don't really have that much time I wanted to get back to the Yosef Achav and the Tzitzel Yezer. so he quotes the Yosef Achav that says that uh, in his opinion she doesn't need a get because now she's a zacher the whole nusach get is aunt intzi and she's not a woman anymore and you, she says you're allowed to get married to any man and she can't because now she's a man and uh, you write out that's not true so and you can't write plainy ben plainy shakaru daver the kan ben then he says that he just, there was another rav there Abulio Abulafia who there was a rav by that name in Ismer at the time who said that he disagrees with some of the, the riots that were brought. Um, he, he says, I'm not even sure why we're talking about this, why we're talking about such strange things. But, uh, he asks, what if she changes back? What if the woman who was a man becomes a woman again? Is she a new person or is she uh, reverted to the old person? If she was put from a get in the interim, is she chiving again now or is she a new woman now? But, so he's disagreeing, but just going further in that direction. The And he says, we see that uh, we see that these in and halacha. And we have to go through these uh, Mekaitis and uh, come to a conclusion. His conclusion on that Shiva to Merkliyahu is, that we should give a din and dragon a tumtum. famously is the one who goes the furthest in accepting that there is some significance to these actions. Now what's interesting to point out is that apparently the Tzitzeliezer forgot that he actually copied and pasted a lot of this material into one of his previous volumes of Shuvahs. He came home, he was looking through his files. If you look in Tzitzeliezer Chelag Yod, which is printed in Tav Shalamed, he has a whole, in Simul Chavhei, Perek Chavav, a whole arichis about uh, organ transplants. So he gets into this and he quotes the Yad Nehman, he even had the access to the Yad Nehman from a secondary source, and the Yosef Echav. And Baiter, he goes through the whole thing, and again, he seems to be very accepting of the premise. He's not challenging the idea, not saying that uh, it's not Bidei Shemayim. So, like I said, whether he, remembered or, whether he remembered it or not, but it seems like we have this tradition all the way stretching, all the way back from the 1500s through the centuries to the Tzitzeliezer, till today, who was willing to accept this idea as a Yesoid. The first time he wrote about it, it seems like it was less Lamaisa, it was just Bader Agav, the questions hadn't reached the Rabbanim yet. When the Tavshin and Zion, when the Taka was more Lamaisa, he was willing to quote this Lamaisa.